Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. We are uh, next month going into our month of missions, and we're going to hear from people from different places of the world and uh, some uh, people, missionaries, we call them, that we support here at City Church and reaching people in faraway places. But as much as we're to go to the faraway places, this morning I'm going to talk about actually reaching into our own backyard. Uh, We're also called to go into our own backyard. In uh, Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 27 to 31. I love the fact that when Jesus tells us to go, he actually went himself and personally models what he means by go. When he says go in all the world, what does he mean by that? And this demonstration of the love of God that's in Luke chapter 5, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite accounts in the Bible of, of Jesus in action, if you want to call it that. And our, um, one of our values, and you'll see our values on the wall as you uh, enter or leave on the, on the back wall of the, uh, in the foyer there, uh, because values shape culture. Culture is not an accident. There's a culture in, uh, in this church, is a culture where you work and your family, every restaurant you go into has a culture. Culture is a very big word, and it's kind of the atmosphere, if you will. But cultures don't happen by default. If you're, if you're purposeful uh, about creating a culture, you can create something that's amazing. And the values are what create culture. So one of our values is to, we'll go anywhere to reach anyone. These are statements that I prayed through, and I really feel were inspired by God. And Cassie did the beautiful artwork there, that guy walking across the desert. We'll go anywhere to reach anyone. But what does that mean? And that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to look at Jesus going anywhere to reach anyone. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out. And he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, Levi's name, uh, you'd know him uh, as Matthew, same person, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Father, I thank you today. Let your word impregnate our soul. Let us follow you and see how and what and why you did what you did so that we can truly be followers of yours in your name. Amen. So I want to talk this morning about how to be a go anywhere to reach any one person. That's our value. That's the culture that we want as City Church. How, how to be a go anywhere to reach 
anyone. So I've got a few points here. And my first point is this. Let your somewhere be your anywhere. I like the fact that it says, it starts off, Jesus went out. Jesus went out. See, evangelism, if we want to call it that, going out and reaching people that are just lost, it's never convenient. It's not something that's going to happen at home watching Netflix, probably. It's just not going to happen that way. You have to purposely or intentionally go out. Jesus went out. When Jesus said, go into all the world, he meant go into all the world, but, but go into all of your world, not conveniently. So the question is this, will you go anywhere? And the answer is this, you already do. Every one of us <laughs> is going somewhere all the time. It's not just a jumping on an airplane, and I've done this, and many of you have as well, and going to the farthest flung reaches of our planet. It's getting up, going to work. That's an anywhere, reach any one place. It's going down to fill your car up with petrol and realizing this is a very painful exercise as it just keeps going up and up, and electric cars are looking more and more appealing perhaps to you. But not walking into that 7-Eleven or wherever you fill up and, you know, giving the person a hard time that's just got a job putting petrol in your car. It's not, it's not about that. Going anywhere to reach anyone is to go where you're already going. So you're always somewhere. The question is, can you make somewhere anywhere? You aren't just called to reach the world, you're called to reach your world. Opportunity is everywhere to people that are looking. So, so anyone is everyone. I've never met, and you've never met either, a person that God doesn't love intensely. Uh, I know most of us, we've got a few people that we don't love intensely, but we're not God, so we'll go a bit easy on that one. But you've never looked into the eyes of one single person that God doesn't love intensely. God so loved the whole world. That's everybody in it. He so much loved the whole world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. So when God says go, you don't have to go on a mission trip around the world, but your mission trip can be next door to work, to, the, to get petrol, to go shopping, to eat out, to go to the gym, whatever you do. I like what Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is very familiar, and we'll come back to this uh, a little bit later, but in Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus is giving his disciples instructions uh, and, and preparing them for the Holy Spirit, which is going to come on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But he says this, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So in other words, we could, we could flip that around and say, if the Holy Spirit's on you, then you've got power. If you don't have power, then probably the Holy Spirit's not on you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
And here's what's going to happen to you when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I have talked about this in the past, but that word witness is the same word martyr. It's, it's who you are, not just what you say. God hasn't called you to win an argument. There's a lot of arguing people around. I don't know if you've noticed, there's arguments everywhere. That's why I'm not big on social media. I'll, I'll go on, see whose birthday it is, say happy birthday, and get off. Like, I don't care about the rest of it. Oh, they're arguing about everything. Well, God didn't call you to win an argument. He called you to win people. And God's not interested in just arguing and, and, and giving you a bunch of information, but you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you personally can be what people are looking at. You can be the witness that God is alive and that God is real. And, and then he says this. He says, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the outer, outer parts of the world. Now, we don't live in Jerusalem. I've been there. Great place to visit. But we don't live there. So how does that translate into us? And, I, and when, when God says go, go into Jerusalem, what he's saying is firstly start with your own backyard. This is the tough bit because I've seen a lot of people that don't want to be a witness. There's nothing going on. No change is happening in them. They're cut and run people. Whatever going gets hard, they just cut and run, go to the next place or whatever. And, and, uh, and it's very easy for people to jump on a plane where nobody knows them, get off the plane. Nobody knows them at all, so they don't know who they are. And just fake it for a few weeks on a missions trip to some other country. But one of the hardest places to witness or to reach lost people is your own backyard. Why? Because everybody knows you there. They're familiar with you. Oh, they've watched you lose your temper. They heard that little white lie. They've watched you grow up, perhaps. Your Jerusalem is your place of familiarity, it can be your family, it can be your place of work. It's, uh, it could be in your neighborhood if you've been there long enough so people know if you're a nice neighbor and easy to get along with, the kind of person that would go and help someone who's uh, disabled with their lawn or carrying their wheelie bin out or something like that. He says, go, go there first, be a witness in your own backyard first. Start where you live, work, eat, do life. But also you're starting <laughs> in your greatest place of failure. And this is where it's tough because it's your family, it's your friends, it's your neighbors, it's your colleagues, the people closest to you. They know me. <laughs> they know my failures. Many of you have been on the journey with yours truly, the dear older pastor. <laughs> you know me, and you know my history, and you've got good memories, I might add. <laughs> but I am called to be a witness here in my Jerusalem, and so are you. Now, herein, I think, is the greatest witness, or if you will, that word martyr again, where you're going to lay your life down but it's also the biggest opportunity. It's not the time to cut and run, escape to a place where they don't know you, 
with all your warts and everything else, the baggage that you got going on, the best witness, I believe, is in your Jerusalem where people do know you and they get, they get to witness the changes in you. Oh, has there been some changes in me over the years? And many of you, hopefully you've seen some changes in, in, in me. I've definitely seen some changes in many of you. You are far more loving, far more kind, far more, far more forgiving, far more fun to be around than you ever were before because Christ is working in you. That is a testimony. That is a witness. You're not an arguing, winning person. You are a work in progress, and God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is doing something that, my friends, is a testament, a testimony, a witness of the power of God. After that, the Holy Ghost came upon you. Something started to happen in you. There were changes, and you started to become more like the Jesus that you claim to follow. I believe there's basically two reasons, rather, why uh, lost people don't find Jesus. Number one, they've never met a Christian. And number two, they've met a Christian. Jerusalem people are people that know you. They know your failures. That's why you need power. So cultivating your current relationships in, in your Jerusalem, that's the best starting place. Don't bypass that. Don't try to skip over that one and go somewhere else. But then also Judea. So Judea are, are people just down the road. They're maybe not in your closest sphere of influence, but you've got some kind of relationship with them. You might, you might see these people intermittently. They're just down the road, people, as, Jeru as Judea was just down the road from Jerusalem. It was kind of like the state, if you will. Uh, we're, we're in a Sunshine Coast, but we live in Queensland. It's not just a ge geographical thing, however. It's a relationship, next of kin kind of a thing. These are acquaintances. They're not maybe close friends. And, and it's important that we realize when we go anywhere that we start to think about these people that we're bumping into every now and again. I uh, met this lady. Uh, she's part of a, a building company that we're using currently for a house. And uh, this woman, I don't see her that often. But every time I do, I pray and I think, okay, God, let me exchange something. She's part of the company and all the rest of it in charge of, of our particular project. And I think, God, let there be an exchange. So saw her during the week. She, she was on crutches. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what happened to you? Well, you know, she tore something in her, in her knee, really hurt. And, uh, and then uh, I found out she was a pastor's kid. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And she does weddings. She's a marriage celebrant. And I thought, that's really amazing. Like, so we connected on, on something. And I said, oh, I do weddings too. But, you know, uh, oftentimes people that aren't part of our church, and maybe, you know, I could give her some business perhaps, something. And so we started talking about that. And then she said, uh, I don't go to church. My dad was a fire and brimstone preacher. He's a very hard man. And he did the wrong thing by my mother, the family. We don't go anywhere near a church. 
Do you know, I found this coming out of my spirit. I apologized to her. Now, I didn't do anything to her. It wasn't me that, you know, did the wrong thing by her mother and all the rest of it. But I said, I'm really sorry that you had that experience. I'm really sorry that your dad didn't live up to perhaps the expectations. And I could see her eyes filled with tears. And she was really touched by that. It really meant something to her. Now, she's not in my Jerusalem, so to speak. She's in Judea somewhere. She's a little bit further out. and She's not in my inner circle. But I went away and I really prayed for her. And I thought, the next time I see her, I'll connect even more with encouragement to really to look to deposit something in her. So we go to Jerusalem, Judea. Now we hit Samaria. Now, Samaria is going to get tough because the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. You know, Jesus went to Samaria, says he had to go through Samaria. He met the woman at the well there, and he asked her for a drink. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And not only that, she was a woman. He wasn't supposed to talk to women. He wasn't supposed to talk to the enemy. And he wasn't even supposed to really go through that neck of the woods. But he goes through that neck of woods, meets that woman, ministers to her, not in a condescending, condemning way, but he reads her mail because he's prophet Jesus, of course. And she gets saved. Seriously, she runs and she tells everybody in the village all about this man that knew everything about her, but also no doubt about the kindness of the Son of God. How difficult it is for people that are on the opposite spectrum politically, especially in today's climate, <laughs> with all the issues that are out there, how difficult it is for us to go into places where they don't like you. They don't like you simply because you go to church. Perhaps they've never been to church. Perhaps they have, like this woman and had a bad experience, even raised under hard religion. But their experience isn't where you're at. It's not your paradigm. It's not your space. You're not the person that did that. I, I remind people frequently when they come in and have a bad experience from somewhere else, I, I gently remind them, I'm not that guy that did that, and this isn't that church that did that. So if you want a new start, welcome. But if you want to project their failures onto me, I will apologize, I'll empathize, I'll have compassion on you, but I don't wear the fact that whatever happened to you, it wasn't me that did it. And when you're, when you're encountering people that are antagonistic, and perhaps it's because of the way that they were raised, their belief system is different, and they were, they were told something about perhaps Christians that just wasn't true. We had, through a homestay, we had... Uh, Arab guys living with us for, I don't know, three years or something like that, different ones. We probably had a dozen over the course of the three years. And they're all Muslims. You're born in Saudi Arabia, you're a Muslim. And they were taught things about Christians. Knowing that I'm a pastor of, of a ch Christian church, from the get-go, they had a wall. They had ideas about yours truly. <laughs> But when somebody's living with you, I mean, they see you when you get up in the morning, go to bed at night, they eat dinner with us, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're exposed, you know, you, you, they find out who you are. 
And I determined for them to find out who I am. Because now the Samaritans have entered into my Jerusalem. It's about as close to my Jerusalem as you can get. They're in the temple, so to speak. But the love of God wins people. We found lifelong friends in all of them. When are you going to come and visit Saudi Arabia? We're, we just want you to come. Please come. We're going to show you the best time. We're going to take you place. We're going to take off work. This is going to be, when is our father? That's who they call me, dad. <laughs> when is my dad going to come? I think that when God calls us to go anywhere to reach anyone, we have to redefine who the anyone is that we're going to reach and not categorize people and not put some of these people, you're not an anyone because you, know, you believe on the other side of politically or you're not an anyone because you're this biased sexually perhaps or you're not an anyone because you're uh, from that country or you're of this color or whatever, whatever, whatever. Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't categorize people? He loves the whole world. Everybody, even the people that aren't politically lined up with you, he still loves them. The question is, do you? You're not maybe like them, but you're called to love them, even the people that are out there. And he goes on with the farthest reaches into all the world, the outer world. So if we hang out, with just our own kind, how are we going to reach people of another kind? If all we're hanging out with is people that agree with us, and that's an easy gig, isn't it? Easy. I like it. I've got friendship circles and people that pretty well we agree on anything. They're called pastors in the ACC. We sit down, we have a great time. We agree on everything pretty well. But if I hang out just with them, how am I going to reach people that aren't like us? If you hang out just with your own and that's it, us four no more, well then you're not going to fulfill what Jesus called us all to do. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody that is uh, way out from where you believe and who you are. I, I really challenge you, put yourself in some positions like that where you kind of have to mingle with somebody that's a Samaritan or from the outer parts of the world. It'll challenge you to your core. We went to a party, and uh, it was in a very upper-class place of Sydney, and, and looking out over the bay, Rose Bay, it's a beautiful place and beautiful day. It was like New Year's uh, Eve, I think it was. And, uh, and there's uh, one of the Packers, yachts out there. I think it's James Packer's yacht sitting out in the bay and beautiful place. And the party that we went, got invited to were a lot of journalists, a lot of left-wing journalists. I mean, really left-wing journalists <laughs> that don't line up at all with a biblical Christian worldview that, that I would have. And I thought, man, like, this party is going to be a challenge. And it got more challenging as the time went on to have conversations knowing that eventually they're going to ask the question of questions, so what do you do for work? Uh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that's kind of a way of saying let's just change the subject, move on. 
that's interesting. Did you ever have somebody, and don't you do this on me, because I'm ready for you, but you go, oh, what did you think of church? Oh, it was interesting. <laughs> that kind of means, uh, didn't, you know, it was interesting. <laughs> That's like when you say to somebody, uh, hey, you going to come around? We're having a party, and uh, yeah, I might see you there. No, you won't see them there at all. They're never coming. <laughs> they ain't coming. You might as well just say, oh, well, I'll see you next year or whatever, but I won't see you at the party. Let's just tell the truth here. And then at this party, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in Samaria now with the whole thing, but I'm called to go anywhere, reach anyone. Doesn't mean I got to be like them. It's not like I'm agreeing with their worldview. And you don't have, you're not called to agree with their worldview. You're called to love the person. That's all God's calling you, love the person. So the next thing I feel, somebody's hand grab me, where nobody's hand should grab me. Yeah, ugh. And I felt my hand go into a fist. And then I thought, that better be Gail. But I knew it was too big a hand and too strong to be Gail. And I looked up, and I thought, man, going to deck you. But the guy was like 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, oh, <laughs> now, we're going to the outer parts of the world now. <laughs> we've, we've, we've done left Jerusalem, Judea. We've, even, even Samaria, I take it, I'd go back to Samaria. But now we're, we're to the ends of the earth from, for, for where I'm at, <laughs> you know. It's not acceptable for uh, anybody to do that to a woman. Definitely not acceptable for a man either. But I thought, okay. So I took a deep breath, unclenched my fist, still think a good slap in the face would be good. And then I just said, hey, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm married, my wife's around here, and I'm a pastor. Oh, totally different now. And started engaging in a conversation with that person that honestly, I won't say, just honestly. <laughs> not to agree, not even to accept the action, quite frankly, but to go anywhere and reach anyone, sometimes you're going to encounter situations. Let's just face it. We're in a world right now that's strangely different than the world that, uh, that it was when I first started this job. <laughs> Way different. We're still called to go anywhere to reach anyone. And so I would ask you then, what are you willing to do? Because it's pretty easy to stay at home, watch Netflix, and not engage with anybody are you going to be kind or just to your own kind? Or are you going to engage with somebody that's different from you? Number two, we're not going to get real far with this. Number two, it says Jesus saw. So Jesus went, he went, went out and he, and, and he saw. And I would ask, would you see through God's eyes, if you're going to be a go anywhere to reach any one person, you've got to look for the lost. Jesus saw Matthew. I pray God open my eyes every day to see 
to see somebody that you died for. Somebody said once, a, a missionary isn't somebody that crosses the sea. It's a missionary is someone who sees the cross. And I look and I say, God, you love them so much that you went to the cross to pay the price of all of their misgivings, all of their misfortunes, all of the times they've missed it, every transgression, every sin, everything, God. You went to the cross for them. Can I see through your eyes? If you had two children, maybe you do. You're out shopping at the shopping mall, and you look around, and one of your little tots is gone. They're missing. Would you go? Well, we got to go. Come on, Johnny. We'll leave Sally behind. Who cares? Go and get in the car and off you go. Like, what kind of parent would you be? No, you would stop everything. You would grab the other one or make sure your spouse or whoever had control, and you would go on an all-out search for the missing one because that's your child. But are they not all God's children? Oh, they don't believe in God. Maybe they're not saved, as we'd say, a Christian. They're not following Jesus. But does God not love them all as much intensely as you love yours, even if they're not walking with God? As a parent, you still love them. It's not their religious persuasion or their, their the, theology that causes you to love them. You love them because you, they're your child. And all are God's children. I remember I heard a true account recently. Well, actually, it wasn't. Time flies. It was a while back, actually. This reporter was in the, uh, the war in Sarajevo, the Bosnian War. And he's watching the fighting, and this, this young child, this girl, was shot in the back of the head. And this man that was there grabs the child. Her back of her head was ripped off, and she's still alive. And, and the reporter immediately stopped being a reporter. He dropped his notes, his pen, his cameras, everything, and just ran over and got the keys to the car. And he grabbed a hold of, of this man and this this beautiful young girl who the man was carrying and got them over to the car, got them into the car, and just stepped on the, on the accelerator as fast as he could to go to the hospital. And the man said, hurry, my friend. My child is still breathing. Hurry. A few minutes later, he goes, hurry, my friend. My child is still warm. Hurry, my friend. A minute or so later, he says, hurry, hurry, my friend. My child's not breathing. And by the time they got there, my child's dead. So they took the child in, and both of them, the journalist and this man went into the restroom to clean the blood and everything off their clothing and their hands. They're washing their hands, and 
And the man says to the journalist, he says, I've got probably the hardest job right now ever. He said, I have to go to the father of the girl and tell him, your daughter's dead. And the journalist looked at him, and he said this, he said, I thought she was your child. And he looked at him, and he said, no, but aren't they all our children? And I wonder with that heart, the heartbeat of Jesus whether we could see them all as God's children so that we'll be motivated to go anywhere to reach anyone, to go, of course, to Jerusalem, to the people that we failed in front of, to Judea, the people that we run into that transact business with, to the people that don't agree with us at all that are perhaps calling us the enemy or worse, us calling them an enemy, to the outer parts of the world to people that are quite alien for where we're at. Jesus saw and he went. What did he see? My point three is see people's situations. He didn't just see somebody that does taxes. He saw a tax collector. How hard would it be to be a tax collector in Jesus' day? They were the scourge of the earth. They, everybody hated the tax. They're after my money. Now, I don't know that everybody likes the Australian tax office now or the IRS in America. It's not a very good job to have, perhaps. But how hard would it be to be a tax collector? And that Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi. And my point is this. You have to see people's situations. How hard would it be to be a person from India that's moved over here, and perhaps in India you were somebody, a doctor, a lawyer, but now you're working at a 7-Eleven. You're copping all kinds of stuff, and you're not getting paid what you were. How, how hard would it be to be somebody that's a Muslim that happens to move to the Sunshine Coast? How, how hard would it be to be an Uber driver, perhaps, putting up with, and I've driven, I, how hard would it be to be a police officer just dealing with domestics and getting abused verbally? How hard would it be to be an ambulance driver? You're trying to save their life, and they're trying to take yours. How hard would it be to be a disabled person you want to do what everybody else is doing, but it's a lot harder. How hard would it be to be a mother, perhaps raising a child on your own? How hard would it be to be a retiree, a pensioner, trying to just survive on a pension that seems to be going down and down and down with cost? How hard would it be for somebody learning English, perhaps? where it's not their first language. When Jesus looked at Levi, Matthew, 
He saw into that man's situation. And the result, it's the cry of our heart. Every one of us, oh, if somebody, is there anybody that understands me? But part of go anywhere to reach anyone is, will you understand somebody else? Or are you just going to judge them and talk trash about them, categorize them as a big group of people that are against everything that we believe in, and therefore they're the enemy? If you're going to go anywhere to reach anyone, you've got to see into people's situations with understanding that maybe they're not at fault. The Saudi guys that lived with us, it wasn't their fault. They were born in Saudi Arabia. Everybody's a Muslim. If you're born there, that's what you are. And they're in the military. That's what they are. It's up to us to show them something different. It's up to us to present a God that loves them. It's up to us to love them. It's up to us to see through their eyes into their situation and be thankful that I wasn't born into that situation because I would probably be like them too if I was born into that. It's up to us to have compassion, to see into their situation. Open my eyes, God. He wants you to see what people are going through in the real world. The cry of their heart, does anybody understand me? We're about to close now. I'd like the team to come up, but I've got a, just a couple more points. I don't want to turn this into part two. <laughs> but number four is know people by name, by the name of Levi. He wasn't just another tax collector. He, he knew the man by name. I, I remember seeing recently a, um, this woman had about 30 or 40 dogs. And she knew every one of them by name. They tested her on it. She said, Sparky. Out of all the dogs, Sparky. Spotty. Billy. You know, every one of them, she knew them by name. Why did she know them by name? Because they mattered to her. People have names. Know them by name. My, my favorite professor going to college university in, in America I, I don't know all I don't know I don't remember any of the other professors by name except Dave Roselle why do I remember Dave Roselle because Dave Roselle remembered my name it's one of the most brilliant people I'd ever met had his doctorate in history taught history at university and accounting and he knew me by name and all the other students as well. And I've never forgotten that. It just made an impact. And then, number five, become somebody worth following. Jesus said, follow me. How, how could Jesus say, follow me, if Jesus wasn't worth following? You'll receive power to be my witnesses again. That means you're worth following. So you have to be on the journey with God and let the power of God transform you. So if you're not currently a person that is worth anybody following, why not just call upon God and his spirit to make you somebody that's worth following? And the guy followed him. So we focus on being kind and loving and generous and all of those things that God's called us into being. And then number six, don't limit a limitless God. So Levi held a great banquet, and Jesus at his house, and a large crowd, oh, of tax collectors, 
and others were eating with. I can imagine Levi going back to all his tax collecting buddies and going, man, I'm having a party. There is a rabbi that understands us guys. He knew more about taxes than I did. He even pays his taxes from a, a fish. <laughs> he understands us. We're coming. We're coming over. And he threw a great banquet. And it wasn't just tax collectors. It was those sinners. They showed up too. What an amazing banquet because of an amazing Jesus that knew them by name and understood their situation and didn't limit a limitless God. I would like to think that this church would explode when we're following him and we know people out there by name in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outer parts of the world and we see into their situations and we know what they're going through and we care enough to listen and not to judge them. This place will be so attractive. We will be so attractive that we can have a great banquet. Not just hold our own little meeting with our own kind. Only caring about something that doesn't matter to the rest of the world. Would you go anywhere to reach anyone? I'd like us all to stand. My final point is take personal responsibility. God showed me this oh, a few years ago. He says, I want you to pastor people before they're saved. I'm like, what? They got to put their hand up, say the prayer. Then I become Pastor Ed. Now, take responsibility for them. So Jesus said this, he said, when he got judged by the religious people, you eat, you drink with tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because he's responsible for them. And then he answered, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If somebody's sick and I'm responsible for them, I'm going to look after them regardless. Personal responsibility. Well, let me pray for you and we're out of time, not out of time though to have a good song. But I want to pray. Firstly, I want to give you a chance if you're away from God or you don't know this Jesus that I've been bragging on for the last few minutes. I wonder whether there's room in your heart for him to come in. He's amazing. Don't judge him by cold-hearted religion. He's amazing. And he loves you whether you're in Jerusalem, Samaria, wherever, you, wherever you're from, whatever language, whatever color, whatever accent, he loves you. Would you open your heart to him and ask him into your heart? If you'd like to do that, or perhaps you've been away from God, I'm going to pray in a moment, and I'd just like you to say this prayer after me. It's just a heartfelt prayer. It's not a formula. It kind of goes the same most times I pray it, but that's okay. It's still not a formula. It's a a prayer. If you mean it, and we'd all pray this, pray this after me. Say, Dear God, thank you for loving me, for going anywhere to reach me. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website 
at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.